Hello. Good morning. Good yontif. <laughs> it's Andy's Girls. It's an emergency episode. You know what, you guys? I did not expect to record this today, this morning. I did not expect to have the morning that I had. And for that, I would like to thank Bethany Ann Frankel for putting out a surprise episode today. A sit down with Rachel Raquel on her podcast, Be Bethany. And um, I actually forget the name, Just Be. <laughs> it's, it's Be Strong. It's literally <laughs> hashtag Be Strong. That might be the name of this episode. Anywho, woke up. Mom's in town. Tobes is here. Things are happening. Absolutely just kicked her out of the apartment so that I could record this emergency episode, like daughter of the year that I am. Um, Because Bethany took to Instagram, first thing I saw, little hullabaloo, posting a photo, a a lovely photo of her with Rachel, who I may inadvertently, accidentally call Raquel, so I might just need to call her Rachel Raquel, and posted on Instagram saying, a woman's voice is very powerful. Now Rachel is using hers to tell her own story for the first time. Part one, available on Just Be With Bethany, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, hashtagging iHeartRadio, Reality Reckoning, and Rachel Levis. Um, And so saw that and was like, oh, fuck, and realized that before I listened to that episode, I was, in fact, going to have to listen to an episode that Bethany put out yesterday called Mention It All Reality Reckoning, where she responds to some page six pieces that she believes were fed to page six and other blog tabloid whatevers by Bravo PR and sort of um, combats criticisms that have come her way since she started speaking out about the network and also clarifies some some rumors going around. And I felt that prior to listening to the Rachel Raquel episode, it was really important, I thought, to listen to Bethany's perspective on her quote-unquote reality reckoning, which is how she has – and this is not even me being a dick. You'll you'll know when that happens. But – it's essentially her brand, like her marketing campaign around holding Bravo and also other networks accountable for their treatment of reality TV participants, which includes, I guess you could call it a moral, um, uh, uh, moral, God, what am I even saying? Truly, Sarah mentioned it all, which involves moral complications as well as financial ones. Um, So it seemed important and helpful that I understood her perspective on essentially even just the reaction to what's come out in the last several weeks, um, her hiring of lawyers and everything else prior to listening to her sit down with Rachel. So I want to talk about that reality reckoning episode first and just kind of give an overview of what's discussed there. And then I will get into the Rachel Raquel, which I did just listen to in full. It's part one. Listening now video, I think she said will be up on YouTube, her YouTube at some point. It is of interest to me that there are so many like podcasts that are known for their video content where people genuinely watch the video first. I think of Call Her Daddy. I think of, honestly, Nick Vial's 
podcast, which I've really only watched, I haven't listened to. And it's interesting that she doesn't ever really have her video content up at the same time, which I think is kind of a miss on her team's part, but her production value is excellent when it comes to video. So I or, or very good when it comes to video. So I don't know why that is, but I guess it's a question for her team. Anyway, so let's get into reality reckoning. So she off the um off the top of that reality reckoning episode, which again was uh, posted yesterday, and then Rachel Raquel today, um, Bethany talks about how essentially all of this came to pass because of an off the cuff video that she posted in response to the other strikes going on those between the WGA and SAG-AFTRA and the powers that be and really felt um, that there was a link to seeing a space where reality TV participants are not being talked about and also deserve protections. And she talks about the critique that has come her way from people saying, you know, you're just biting the hand that feeds you. And Bethany's response to that was, well, I fed myself. Andy didn't want me on Housewives. I wasn't seen as the right person, but I was always an entrepreneur. And sort of this would have happened regardless of reality TV or maybe essentially, I created this for myself using reality TV that I don't owe them anything, I think is essentially the perspective that she feels. Um, And that she posted this video in response to those other strikes talking about her quote unquote reality reckoning and people came to her. And started telling their own stories. Now, I was a little concerned about what she meant by people, which is a great way to start my list of concerns, um, or just really questions, because she talks about hearing stories of people who are on reality TV. And I kind of wondered, who is telling you these stories? Is it individuals who, I'm sure there are individuals who were on reality TV, who have already spoken out publicly, who surely got in touch with her, she got in touch with them. But I wonder also for some of the other stories that she's heard of things happening on reality TV, are those stories coming to her because of the direct participants? Or are they coming to her because of viewers who are telling her what happened on Bravo, for example, because there does seem to be some confusion about people that she's name dropping in interviews and people she's tagging in videos, many of whom have untagged themselves or put up sort of LOL videos. Um, Spidey, Spencer Pratt, and Heidi Montag, Heidi Pratt, Heidi Montag Pratt, um, put out a video saying essentially like, we're not a part of this, we would be happy to do any reality TV, pay us just money and we'll do kind of whatever you want, like a cheeky kind of response to say that, you know, they're noticing, and I'm sure people have made them aware that Bethany is tagging them in these videos. And when Bethany decides to tag a variety of reality TV people in her videos talking about her interest in unionization, still can't say that word, by the way, um, there's people understandably assume that those participants have reached out to her, signed on, and given consent for her to name them. Paige from Summer House is another person Bethany has tagged in videos and name dropped who has untagged herself. So there does seem to be some confusion about who she is seemingly teaming up with, who's giving her information, and who is giving her permission to do something, including um, tag them in videos. Now, you might be listening to that saying, what's the big deal about tagging me in a video? It is, in fact, a very big deal. If you are onboarding lawyers and talking about 
this being a war and a battle between good and evil. And you were tagging people, including some people who are currently employed by networks. The networks are going to have some questions for those people. And if I was Bethany thinking, can they give me value information, whatever else anonymously, I would keep those people anonymous, not only as a show of her understanding of how confidentiality works when it comes to people who may have ongoing contracts with the network production or whomever else, but just as a way of understanding like, like, I don't need to sacrifice some of these participants who may or may not be interested in saying that they're participants and might may or may not actually be participating. She might be tagging people to get their attention, but it's getting the attention of people who include the network, which is not ideal. So I think that's raising questions for some people, including myself, about some of Bethany's strategy here and how she's involving other people who are not speaking out on their own first. She seems to be speaking out for them. And there are some questions there about who you're name dropping and did they give you permission, consent to do that. So I don't know how many of the stories that she's mentioning are coming because of an awareness of situations starting with people who were actively involved versus viewers talking about stuff. But obviously, she got slammed with a lot of info and was essentially overwhelmed. And she compared the situation with people who are currently working for Bravo and compared it to people who worked for Harvey Weinstein and said, essentially, there are people who won't speak out who are inside of the machine and inside of, uh, you know, the part of like, I guess, a monstrous kind of sitch um, who are maybe even currently employed housewives, let's say, who are speaking out to the public and saying, I'm not a part of this um, unionization, still can't say it, um, drive that Bethany is organizing. And she seems to understand the fact that some people are going to speak out against this and potentially against her, and she doesn't seem to hold it against those individuals. She has an awareness that or is arguing that some of them might be doing that not of their own volition, but because Bravo PR is asking them to do so. Now, I wrote a piece for The Daily Beast that you can read at The Daily Beast uh, asking and speaking to a few reality TV people, including currently and recently employed housewives about whether they would join her unionization drive. It did not seem that any of those people had necessarily been prepped by Bravo, but I know that that is happening. I have heard from people that that is happening. It makes a lot of sense that that is happening, that people are being told not to comment if you are a currently employed uh, employee. I don't know if that's across the board for everybody at Bravo, but um, obviously Bravo is very aware and concerned of the current narrative that's being driven by Bethany. And she says as much. She said Bravo wouldn't essentially respond to her initial um, critiques and videos. And she also believes that while they didn't respond at that point, she feels that Watch What Happens and Andy himself have been more sanitized and watered down because they're nervous about what she's saying. So she feels like episodes that have come out since she announced her war, quote unquote, um, as Variety stated, against Bravo and against reality TV, that while they didn't uh, say anything on the record and didn't comment on the record at that point, they were potentially changing some of their, you know, live programming or live to tape programming um, 
as a response to that, that they were less spicy than they would be ordinarily. So Bethany was uh, annoyed or whatever characterization you want to say, um, acknowledged that Bravo wasn't responding to her videos and felt she needed to have a legal letter sent to them because that would drive them to respond. So her interest in approaching a lawyer, Brian Friedman, to draft a letter to send to Bravo wasn't to engage in a lawsuit. It was to get their attention so that they would respond to her videos. So Bethany reached out to Brian to draft a letter and to, in her words, memorialize her points. But when Brian got involved, it opened this huge Pandora's box. And so he added Mark Garagos and they essentially, or Mark Garagos, 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 potato, potato, let's call the whole thing off. Um, They certainly didn't want to do that. So they seemingly got overwhelmed by responses from people reaching out to them and maybe wanting to be represented or um, at the least wanting to be heard. So Brian and Mark were like, holy shit, this is really a thing. So where maybe her first intention was for a letter to be drafted that was formalizing and encapsulating her thoughts to drive Bravo into responding, now there was a situation where these lawyers, seemingly celebrity lawyers, very um, well-known lawyers in Hollywood, are partnering with her and are now seeing like, oh, wow, maybe there's actually some legal recourse here. Maybe this is um, maybe potential for litigation, which I think they're still essentially figuring out. So they memorialize, again, in her points, her words, and put NBC on notice. And that included sending this formal legal letter detailing the narrative that she had previously placed, seemingly updated with information that they've received after, and saying, do not fucking delete, you know, um, lose anything that might be considered evidence because this shit is popping. Um, and Bethany made clear it's essentially not that she is suing anyone, but it sounds like there could be some sort of lawsuit that might happen um, if and when Brian and Mark decide to move forward. And I'll have that Obviously, it's dependent on who is reaching out to them and who is potentially interested in signing on. And surely there are a number of people who've been on reality TV. Obviously, this is specific to NBC at this point with that letter. But people who I am sure um, feel that they have um, legal cause to join that specific fight. Anyway, meanwhile, SAG-AFTRA reaches out to Bethany, agrees to hear more, potentially support, um, wants to see reality TV folk um, potentially um, supported in some way. She notes that she has a big meeting with the union, she says, this week. So I'm sure we will hear more about that um, in the days and possibly weeks to come. And she says she understands why people currently employed, as I said, are criticizing her that they're being told to criticize her by Bravo PR, especially because there's a quote unquote, huge literary piece that's coming out. I have no idea what that is, no idea who it's for. I mean, I would love for it to be the New Yorker. I doubt that that is happening. It could be for the New York Times, could be New York Times Magazine. Um, maybe LA, there are, I mean, maybe Variety, although Variety's already covered it, some sort of huge piece. I have no idea where that is, uh, where that's coming from, but I'm sure we will hear more about that to come. And 
So she says that one of the reasons that there is this kind of vicious cycle of people being on reality TV and staying on reality TV is that she believes that when someone comes on a specific form of reality TV, like being on Bravo, their reputation is essentially destroyed either by participating in the show or by their behavior on the show, the mission of the show, you know, being give good drama. And that starts a cycle where someone has potentially a terrible season. Bravo convinces them to come back by in her words, beating them down and then saying they can repair their reputation by coming back. It's the idea of your reputation being ruined and then saying, guess what? You have the power to change it. If you don't like the way that you were reflected this season, the only way to change that is to continue being in the game. And it's a game that she continuously calls zero sum. She says it in this episode and in the episode with Rachel Raquel, it's a zero sum game because you have people who go on they from the time that they join reality TV, they are seen as people on reality TV. They're then essentially unemployable, which has been a part of the conversation from recent participants on Love is Blind who have said their careers have been ruined, that they were in whatever serious form of yada yada, let's call it marketing or whatever else, business. And people were not interested in working with them further because they saw them as let's say someone of a joke or someone who was unserious or someone whose reputation was damaged by doing reality TV, regardless of what show that they were on. That's a big regardless. Um, but Bethany considers it a zero-sum game where the only people who ultimately win are Bravo. Obviously, she considers herself and could be considered a huge exception to the rule because of the amount of success that she has created for herself or has been created as a result of being on Housewives, but that she feels that overall, this is like the house will ultimately always win. And she wanted to rebut a page six article that I have discussed on AG Classic and or the Andy Scrolls Patreon, which was a piece that came out this past week saying essentially, wow, Bethany says that Bravo is the devil, but only a couple weeks ago, she was pitching a show with Ava Amuri, also known as Susan Sarandon's daughter, um, about, you know, upwardly mobile women in Connecticut or whatever. So she says that we all suck now, but a couple m- months ago, she was in Nagosh. So you know, what does that all really mean? Essentially invalidating a lot of her current concern about the harm that reality TV does because she was months prior negotiating a new show that she would either produce or be a part of. So a big part of her reality reckoning episode was to rebut that and say, listen, here's the deal. Two years ago, she was in Nantucket and pitched a project to pop, which she says is the production company that's behind Miami, Atlanta, Married to Medicine, and that she pitched a show called B or Bethany, The Next Chapter. She said Andy and Bravo loved it. She and Andy went on a beach walk, talked about it, and that they had sent women to be around her to create more of an ensemble story. And Bethany responded and said she didn't want housewives. 
but she was producing. And when she realized that this was becoming sort of a housewife style show, she kind of kept punting the ball. Her lawyers also didn't like production, the productions company's practices and Bethany started to feel cagey. So someone at this point reached out to Bethany and told her that Pop stole Married to Medicine from a cast member who we all know is Mariah. And that Bethany felt the same thing would happen to her. Um, She says that there was some sort of lawsuit and settlement between Mariah and I assume Pop. Um, And so Bethany said she didn't want to move forward, um, which on on a project she had started 18 months ago, she finally pulled the plug in the last three or four months. She says that them sharing their version of that story um, knowing that it's a slanted view meant to hurt her is an example of Bravo scrambling, that they're nervous. She notes that there are lawsuits um, seemingly unrelated to her quote unquote reality reckoning, but things that obviously one can draw a direct line to, including whatever happens or happened on real um, Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip season four. Now, as we now know, season four was filmed in Morocco. Something fucking happened between Brandy and Caroline um, that led to Caroline leaving the trip early production continuing, then there being some sort of formal investigation from the network into whatever took place. They have then since decided to air Ultimate Girls Trip Season 5, which is a New York Housewives theme trip first this fall, and then kick season four to next year. Bethany says the reason that happened is because they're very nervous and there are potential lawsuits, that Brandy has information about how she was told to act in a certain way on the trip, that Caroline allegedly also has legal representation, and that Bravo has, in Bethany's words, shelved the project and are on full alert. Now, what does shelving the project mean? That could mean they're delaying it to see what the fuck happens. That could mean they're delaying it and might not ever show it. I have truly no idea what shelving means, although obviously delaying is currently happening. Um, She says again that she has a meeting with SAG-AFTRA this week to discuss potentially unionizing, collaborating, whatever that sounds like, and um, that she is not, um, per speculation, responding to speculation. She's not starting a network. She's not interested in representing talent. So all of that speculation and criticism is wrong. And that she says, ultimately, Bravo is complicit in bad business practices. She also wanted to respond to the idea that she's like turning on her friend Andy by saying she and Andy have always been colleagues. She was a fan of his, but they're not close friends. Their house, their hangouts at each other's homes. Um, usually involved meeting to discuss business, that she's never viewed him really without him being in an employer role or employer adjacent role. She also responded to um, criticism that her podcast, she has like 18 different podcasts. She has fucking Be Strong, Mention It All, whatever the fuck this thing is <laughs> to talk about with Rachel Raquel. Then she has her Rewives show where she rewatches Housewives with people who have never seemingly seen Housewives, except for like maybe two of them and their celebrity names who watch 
essentially a single episode and then talk about it with Bethany. So she's received criticism from people saying, listen, you don't have the right to speak out or you're um, being hypocritical because you are also exploiting people on reality TV by having um, a podcast devoted to recapping Housewives. And she says, you know, watching it and talking about it isn't the same thing. And that what she does on Relives is talking about human issues with non-Bravo talent. Now, human issues is a fascinating way to think of it. I mean, good for her for creating a podcast that's focused on the psychology behind um, housewives with non-housewives people. It's a great idea. I wish I had had seven years ago when I started the first podcast actually focused on the psychology behind it. But, you know, it's a real DeLorean back to the future situation, shall we say. Anyway, She says um, that when she created Rewives, it wasn't and continues not to be about exploiting anyone. And that, you know, when Andy, in her words, denounced Rewives, it backfired because it grew and drew more attention to the podcast, which she said became an outrageous success. So then Bravo was forced to have Bethany on Watch What Happens. She thought it was going to be a normal episode, but then the public spoke and felt it was an ambush. She said her child was upset that Bryn was in the dressing room and thought it was going to be like a fun show and felt that her mom had been ambushed as well. Um, And so I guess that's one of the measures where Bethany feels like Bravo has tried to counter either some of her success or ownership of Housewives and also now critiques and that it hasn't necessarily worked out. Um, Bethany said she's not hiding behind her actions that she's done on camera. She's not upset at people who've acted poorly and names herself as well as other New York Housewives, including Ramona, and says, Essentially, it's not about holding an individual accountable or looking at them as the reason that reality TV is bad. It's really what these people, including herself, were trained to do, that they're trained and rewarded for acting poorly, but they shouldn't be the ones who are ultimately judged. It's really the powers that be that deserve to be held responsible. And she says Bravo has essentially made more and more money for going lower and lower and crossing lines. And the argument that they have signed up for this, meaning how how dare a person speak out and say that they were misled or that this was a toxic environment, they knew what they were signing up for. And Bethany's response to that is they actually didn't. Um, and they find people who sign up for reality TV find themselves in a toxic cycle where they realize they can't work anywhere else. And they're constantly being told and kept inside this universe where just one more season will... Um, you know, change your reputation. And also the way to really win is to behave bigger and badder. That's how you succeed in this. And then you create a pattern for yourself where there's no way of getting out but to stay inside. I'm sure the money doesn't hurt either, at least that upfront check. Although obviously the fight for residuals is just beginning. And that, um, you know, people Um, are not designed to, and Housewives really in Bravo, this form of reality TV, is not designed for conflict resolution, but for conflict conflict. She ends the episode by saying this really wasn't a grand plan, but a path. Um, It's scary for her and the sheep don't like when someone breaks out, but she's thinking about her kid and what Bryn consumes, and she's successful enough to be cause-driven. She has a great relationship, great 
kid. She's got fucking money up the goddamn wazoo. And she's in a position where she can really focus on causes she's passionate about. We've seen her do that very successfully with her work in immediate um, crisis response with um, Be Strong and that this is another version of that, essentially. Um, So anyway, that's the first episode, Reality Reckoning, which I think is helpful background, especially because a lot of those arguments on her individual solo episode are echoed in this conversation with Rachel Raquel. And by the way, when I say Rachel Raquel, I'm not making fun of her adjusting her name. It's just during the height of the scandal, as you guys know, when everybody was calling her Rachel, I kept calling her Raquel while I understood the joke because I was like, this is how this is the word she's using. And maybe I'm too fucking old to change it. <laughs> like, I just know her as Raquel. So now since she has announced that she would like to go back to her legal name, Rachel, and I have been like the only content creator <laughs> calling her Raquel, it's a slightly harder swap for me to make. So in my head, I'm just like, Rachel Raquel, I know half of that is correct, <laughs> regardless of the timing. So here we are. And now let's dive into the episode with Rachel Raquel Levis and Bethany. So Bethany starts by saying, essentially, how are you? And Rachel Raquel says, I'm okay. I'm hanging in there. This has been whirlwind and chaos, but she's taken the time to reflect and try to understand her actions. And it finally all makes sense. She says a part of the reason for why she took a break was because of the chaos and vitriol online. Another part was to understand her behavior and why she chooses unavailable men and stays in unhealthy relationships and how she needs to change. So Bethany is essentially like, how did we get here? She didn't watch Vanderpump Rules, spoiler alert, until I took an interest in you, is how she frames it. She says she saw clips online and had an immediate opinion and thought the scandal name and marketing and response was disproportionate, not only for what actually happened, but also for the fact that this is a show that often features and is built upon people behaving poorly, including being engaged in ultimate a multitude of affairs. She repeatedly says, it's not like they were married and they didn't have kids. She says this at that point of the episode. She says it later on, which is an argument many people have countered. This is Bethany saying, it's not like they were married and they didn't have kids, which is to minimize to me a nine- nine plus year relationship or partnership by saying it's not as serious. It's not like they were married, which to me is not a great way of framing this if you are someone coming to the table because whether or not you're trying to do this, I would argue she was, it's minimizing the seriousness or commitment level of a person's relationship, which can be, by the way, um, Goldie and Kurt style a very committed one, regardless of whether or not you're married. My aunt and uncle have been together for over 40 years. They are not technically married. Is he my uncle? He is. Are they committed to each other? They are. Are they essentially married except they didn't do the legal mishigas? Yes. To me, the idea the use of marriage inspires commitment. It's also a legal contract. So there is that big 
difference, but it doesn't mean the partnership didn't matter. And it doesn't mean the partnership should be minimized because a person is not married. So I had a little moment to myself when I heard the it's not married thing. But anyway, Bethany talks about her kind of confusion and annoyance with the ways that the Scandal became such big news because she was like, what the hell is the big deal? Um, and then she started her reality reckoning. She cited Rachel as an example. And then Rachel's rep reached out to Bethany and ostensibly here we are. Paris is always a good idea. And when I schlep on over to Europe to my favorite city in the world, I bring with me a few important phrases that I have learned from housewives. C'est bon, c'est bon. Chic, c'est la vie. Je m'appelle the Countess. N'est-ce pas, Luanne? <laughs> and while those key phrases are important when speaking to any French bravoholic for other matters of life, that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including, of course, French. It features fast language acquisition. It immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations. So you really learn to speak, to listen, and to think in that language. It's an intuitive process. You pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. J'adore Chris Manzo. Et toi? There's a speech recognition filter which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's convenient with desktop and app options. And it's an amazing value. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. A steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorinda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back, 
and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. (laughs) Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time (laughs) with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells unbelievable. Believable, Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDYSGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDYSGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media and then IRL. 
And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Row, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to Roe.co slash Girls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash Girls. Sign up today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Rachel says she cited that video or Bethany using her as an example. She felt validated in that moment. She says that reality TV is edited and contrived. It's not all factual. Um, that affairs hit home for a number of viewers who were projecting their own experience or feelings onto her and that she became a punching bag as a result. She wanted to acknowledge the hurt she caused and that she was, in her words, not careful with her actions. She said she was still healing from her breakup with James. She was drinking a lot during filming and she didn't have a safe space to express emotions in a healthy way. Bethany says, you know, it's very difficult for those outside of all of this, including Andy. She name drops Andy a lot, which I thought was really interesting. That's going to piss him the fuck off. Um, That it's very difficult for those outside the world of being in reality TV, including Andy, to understand what it's like. That it feels like your entire world, but that entire world is also manufactured, which I thought was an entirely valid point. And Rachel in coming on the show, on coming on Bethany's show, wants to share how far she's grown. So let's get into the name change. She was born Rachel, given the name Rachel. She became Raquel in the first grade because there were too many Rachels, which P.S. as a Sarah, who was a Sarah G in um, elementary school, I understand. I get that. There were a lot of Rachels, a lot of Jens, a lot of Sarahs. Elizabeths, there were a fair number of, but I feel like Elizabeth is very easy to do, like Elizabeth, Lizzie, Liz. 
versus Rachel um, versus Sarah, which you just tack on the, you know, initial starting with your last name. So as a result of that, she became Raquel in the first grade. And a part of that also, maybe the continuation of that was because deep down, she wasn't comfortable in her own skin. And becoming Raquel was a way to separate from herself and her own core being. Raquel was a way to be a different person. So her family continued to call her Rachel, but her friends called her Raquel and it stuck. And in inner child therapy at the place that she went to for treatment, they have you like write with your opposing hand and write things down. And they asked her to write down her name on like a board, I guess, in front of the group. And she wrote Rachel. And that that really was her coming back to her core self and core being. And that inspired her asking people to call her by her birth name, Rachel, and not the nickname started in um, elementary school. She says she grew up struggling a lot with social anxiety and judgment and fear of vulnerability. She said she's very close with Bethany. Her mom relates a lot to Bethany online. Her mom apparently told her, like, Bethany gets it, which I'm sure is one of the big reasons why Rachel chose to be on Bethany's pod. Bethany says she would be in jail for murder if she was Rachel's mom in seeing the way that people were harassing Rachel um, on social and and seemingly, according to Bethany's critiques of the reunion in the cast. And it get in, gets into the guilt that Rachel feels for what she put her family through with all of this. She says the only friends she could trust are from childhood. She says she was betrayed to by people who disclosed things to the press and that she has no friends in LA, which I thought was interesting. Again, getting into this idea of like how she was betrayed, two things can be true at once. She says she was betrayed by people who disclosed things to the press. I immediately think, well, if someone feels like you lied to them in their friendship or betrayed one of their close friends by having an affair with someone's partner of nine plus years, for you to believe that confidentiality should continue when you weren't being honest with your core group of friends of what was actually going on and how you were behaving is a difficult pill to swallow because two things can be true at once. She can feel betrayed by people she thought were friends who were saying things to the press. And at the same time, um, the response that's not given by Bethany is like, do you understand why people would be upset? Do you understand why people would feel like they don't just you don't deserve to have confidentiality when they are only now seemingly understanding your character or your behavior at that point, which people could say is representative of a person's character, noting people can change. So she says that she had friends who wanted to support her, who were harassed into unfollowing her on social. She got a call from a friend saying, listen, people are yelling at me that I still follow you. I need to unfollow you as a result. And Bethany reads a prior statement that Rachel had posted on social, apologizing and asking if it's still accurate. And is it still authentic? Rachel says, yes, it is. It's full circle, having mentioned needing to be validated, that in treatment, she realized she has a love addiction, which is a real thing, in her words, confusing intensity for intimacy, and why she couldn't stop seeing, quote, this person but um, now she knows better. Now, the idea of saying this person to me was kind of interesting because 
her um, inability to call Tom Tom, I thought was an interesting either separation or formalization of someone you would think she would call by name. I don't know if that's a defense mechanism. I don't know if that's a protection thing. I don't know if that's a legal thing, even though we know who she's talking about. I don't know if that's her way of moving forward by, in her mind, using this as, and I don't mean this in a critical way, but like having a narrative where it's like, this is the person I was doing this with. Or maybe she's just thinking in her head, this is a long podcast, we're going to name him. I know we're leading up to this, but I'm feeling a little bit cagey about it at first. So Bethany starts talking about how some of her decisions she wouldn't have done necessarily except for reality TV. She says she might not have gotten married to Jason had she not filmed it for her spinoff. Um, she also dives back into um, comparing it to Vanderpump Rules, where she says having an affair is essentially great for TV. Rachel says it was normalized in Vanderpump Rules, and it's uncanny to see how upset it made her cast members, except that nearly every cast member has been in an affair. Um there was a moment there where she starts talking about how she looked up to members of the cast and wanted to create good TV, which I'm sure I'll get to in a moment, that I thought was really interesting when she says it's essentially hypocritical for members of the cast to be so upset when several of them engaged in affairs. Now, noting what people talk about, about how Sandoval and Ariana, whether or not they kissed at the beginning, whether or not they had an emotional affair. It is interesting that the lead conversation here when it comes to like um, bad behavior happened. So how do you get upset about this happening now? takes out of the conversation entirely the fact that a lot of bad behavior that Bethany and and Rachel are referencing is stuff that happened years prior, or like maybe in real time. We don't, we haven't really caught up recently with Jax, but like, (laughs) just kidding. But like the, the really, really bad stuff, like the Kristen Sandoval dynamics, the Stassi Jax dynamics, that happened at the beginning of the show that you know, inspired the show to become incredibly, incredibly popular. But the interesting part of the show, the reason that there is this spinoff happening that was, you know, in the works prior to um, 2020, that is now happening again, there were plans to potentially split Vanderpump rules as is into Vanderpump Valley and VPR, which is now um, changed. But the reason that that would happen in many ways is because there are people who have outgrown the circumstances that they created when Vanderpump Rules first started airing. And the wild thing in talking about Sandoval is to see that while other people in the cast have grown, some of them leaps forward, some of them not, you know, BCC Schwartz that Sandoval really has seemingly stayed himself and stayed consistent. And it's interesting that the characterization of who I would put to as point to as someone who really truly hasn't grown while others have is Sandoval, who happens to be the person that she had an affair with. And yet it's like the idea of looking at his character as someone who's not matured or grown at all as being the entirety of the universe of how Vanderpump Rules continues is to me not spot on, noting that obviously bad behavior still exists, which makes VPR VPR, that people are going to fight, friends are going to yell at each other. 
relationships might break down or bloom depending on what season it is. But I do think that there has been maturity elsewhere in the cast. I look at Ariana with that. I look at Sheena at that. I look at Katie at that. Um, interesting that I'm naming all the women on the show. Um, certainly there's a through line there as well <laughs> when it comes to gender dynamics. Um, but it was interesting to me. And uh, again, one of the moments in this when I wish there was a little bit of a counter that was based on someone who had the information or an awareness of the series as a whole and the way that in some ways some of these relationships have matured, even though um, at the same time behavior otherwise has not, which is how Vanderpump Rules has um, been able to exist for almost a decade. Um, so she um so what happened um, after the reunion, which um, Bethany watched, I guess Bethany acknowledging that she saw aspects of the reunion, so kudos to her, is that Rachel walked out of the reunion a few days before she had her final interview, which we watched at the tail end of the reunion, which that shock um, sort of spoiler surprise for people was that they were having an affair, including sleeping and having sex in Ariana and Tom's bed while she was in out of town, I think in Florida for her grandmother's funeral. And Rachel says essentially that normalized that bad behavior was normalized on Vanderpump rules. And that, um, you know, the doing the final interview to her was really different, different for her, because she felt that she had until this point betrayed everyone except for Tom. And by going behind his back and telling more of the truth of what they were actually doing, she was betraying him as well, which kicked into her fear of abandonment and freaked her the fuck out. And she felt that she wasn't able to be fully honest, because she was still keeping secrets and for him to protect him, maybe because he demanded that she would, including the fact that he took her to see his family in St. Louis. And that showed her that honesty is a core value that she refused to break from that point forward, essentially from the point in which I guess she sat down for this um, post-reunion and confessional that she really felt like she needed to be honest to people, including herself, and then went into treatment, which she said was a scary decision. She decided to finish her filming and work obligations before going and then went straight into treatment. They took her phone, searched her bags. She was in a place with no faces. She felt shame about being there, including about introducing herself and explaining how she came to be in treatment, and that she was met with grace and compassion from um, people who are also there and has learned to do the same thing with herself. And she has forgiven herself for her behavior in the scandal as a result. So why Bethany? Why go on Bethany's podcast? Um, Rachel felt that she is a force to be reckoned with, um, including in that TikTok she saw naming Rachel as an example of someone who was exploited by the network, that she was used and not compensated for that, and that it's not fair to be seen ultimately as the ultimate villain in all of this, that her mistakes will live on forever, and that doing reality is like an addiction, that you need to tell your story or it'll be done without you, which is the narrative and strategy that production the network uses to keep someone there and why she almost went back. And as Bethany said, it's kill or be killed, a zero-sum game, and one in which you'll always lose, the house will always win. The cycle is thinking that one day you will be on top. Um, 
Bethany says that essentially, you know, these are archetypes that Raquel is the villain in Bethany's eyes. Ariana is America's sweetheart. And Tom's just like kind of there, but that the bulk of negative attention went on to Raquel. Um, Bethany says essentially like, it's my understanding that you are, were paid for the entirety of last season, less than my interns. And Rachel says you get paid based on your behavior from the season prior. She makes a joke that she took direction well, like the idea that, um, because she was having and engaged in this affair, her, contract for the following season would be better. Her behavior was stronger, I guess, season 10, which would have inspired for inspired her or production to pay her more the next season. Although to that, I was like, okay, you're joking that you took the direction well, because you your behavior was so wild and outrageous and having this affair that you would be paid more season 11. But like, the whole thing was in the moment you guys were hiding this affair. So like, even taking you literally that like you took direction well because you behaved so outrageously you would be paid more and rewarded for that season 11 but like the whole thing in the moment isn't that in the moment you were like i'm doing so great for tv by having this affair because you're also actively trying to disguise it and to deny its existence and to talk about ariana's sex life at points as if to understand how bad this affair is and whether or not you can end up with Tom. Like, these are questions, I think, or counters that people who've actually watched the season would have, but Bethany hasn't. And I don't mean this as an insult, but just as an observation that while there are a number of points here, and while it is interesting, certainly works well for Bethany for this to be on her podcast and for it to be a conversation of two people who are obviously very well known for being on reality TV, it is a little bit of a dig at Andy, I mean, a little, um, to say, you know, he wouldn't understand what we've been through because he hasn't been on reality TV, which doesn't mean that's not also true. There's something to be said for Rachel having this conversation with someone who not only was on reality TV, but was on a very specific form of reality TV and on Bravo to have this conversation. And at the same time, Bethany herself doesn't really watch reality TV, doesn't, hasn't, certainly hasn't seen the amount of Vanderpump rules that any number of other content creators or other individuals have, including like celebrity Bravo viewers, whomever else, or a journalist might have in preparing for this interview. You better believe if you're sitting down with a Diane Sawyer type for some sort of like fucking, you know, like three-parter being shown at night that they're going to do their due diligence and their research. And there was a little bit of a Howie Mandel energy in this and Bethany not countering even some of these moments of narrative with examples of reasons why that doesn't totally make sense based on choices that Rachel made over the course of this season and that were decisions made to hide this relationship and affair. And I wish that there had been someone there to maybe deepen this conversation a little bit by asking questions that challenge some version of Raquel's story, which isn't to say I don't have empathy for her. It isn't to say that at some points in this, I don't believe her, but it is to say that this is a nuanced conversation. And in the ways that Sandoval specifically wanted to go on Howie Mandel's pod because he knew he was in a safe space, 
You can have safety in someone who supports you, obviously. There's also safety in knowing that this person hasn't seen the entirety of the season and won't ask those questions. Now, could Bethany have been prepped to ask them by someone who'd watched the episode? Sure, maybe she was. Maybe Bethany disagrees with some of the questions that I might have asked, and she has every right to. She's in the position to ask the questions. But it does, to me, make it a slightly less nuanced conversation when you don't even know the reality specifics of the reality presented on reality TV, let alone everything else that's happened as a result. It's very easy to quantify the entirety of the anger and upset inside the Bravo, inside and outside the Bravo audience against Raquel and say that's according to gender dynamics, you were the big bad wolf, it wasn't really Tom, it was at you, which if you look at the volume of hate and vitriol directed Rachel's way, there can be an argument made there that gender dynamics and gender politics absolutely came into play. And there are also other conversations that can happen about the way that if Raquel is talking about people who may have experienced infidelity or whatever else in the relationship projecting onto her, there are also different forms of projection. And also the idea that people are responding to behavior that they're seeing on TV. Now, a way to minimize that or counter it is to say all of this is fake, but obviously aspects of this are real, including the fact that she did have a at least seven months long affair with this man who she knew was in some sort of dynamic with someone else who she was at least friendly with. There's a level of invalidation that I think is still happening about the harm that this has caused. And in looking at, for example, Ariana's brand deals or or other things to say, wow, this person has been able to monetize or uh, make themselves financially independent or get rewards for behavior that I did and I wasn't rewarded in the same way. You could believe that and have that conversation, but that's not the entirety of of all of this. And for people who feel that they know Ariana, having had her in their life through reality TV for over a decade, there's going to be a sense here that if someone's behavior has been relatively consistent and they have also grown for a number of years, and they obviously seem very upset that someone they're calling their best friend has been having an affair they weren't aware of over the course of several months, that it's not enough to just say, well, she's doing like lash ads, so everything's okay. And also, it's unfair that she's making money off of my poor behavior while I'm being dragged. You have the right to feel that. That's not the only thing that's happening. And should Ariana be punished for being seen as America's sweetheart? Is it her responsibility to defend what she's looking at now in that cover piece for Glamour and other interviews as the ability for her to actually separate from Tom? We don't know what's going to happen with the money and the mortgage that was invested and refinanced in their house together. We don't know how that will work. But for someone who's very focused on supporting her family, is it fair that you're not getting brand deals because you fucked her boyfriend for seven months? Like, no, that's not fair. And am I being flippant and saying that? Absolutely. But the idea of criticizing the way that someone is looked at like as a holier than thou God and you are being perceived as the opposite inside a conversation where you're also saying it's a zero-sum game, all of this will change. There's the reaction there that I would think of like, okay, 
people positioned Ariana maybe as a little bit of a deity, which a lot of that comes to like hashtag women supporting women. And the idea that this person was just betrayed by two people she really cared and loved about at very different levels. Ultimately, she was obviously in the relationship with Tom, but she also had a friendship, a platonic relationship in with Raquel. What does all of this ultimately mean? Is it possible that in the ways this is a zero-sum game, Ariana might be viewed differently according to whatever behavior we see on an upcoming season of VPR? There might be a sense of more nuance in upcoming seasons as other behaviors are exhibited? Absolutely. But it's interesting that we're like, it's a zero-sum game. Everyone will also lose. Except right now, because Ariana's winning, she's always going to win. And that's not fair. That was a moment where I was like, damn, I would have thought that in a first sit-down with Raquel, there would be more of an understanding or empathy for Ariana. And when she says these comments, like, I get it, and I hurt her, whatever else, and it's juxtaposed with more information and time spent later in saying, well, we weren't really friends, we weren't really close, that might be true in part. You might not have considered a best friend, but, you know, Rachel, Rachel goes on to say, like, well, we weren't really good friends. We weren't really close. So when people are getting really um, upset at me, it's it's not fair because I didn't look at her friendship as being best friends, which means as a result, directly connected to that, the upset that people feel the way that I was used at people's you know, maybe a friend betraying them was projected onto me. When you're saying I'm not, I wasn't best friends with this person, I'm thinking to myself, well, who did you consider a best friend at this point? Because you obviously considered Sheena a close friend, which she also gets to, and I'll get into those details in a minute. But like, now you're saying you have no friends in LA. The only friends you have are friends from childhood. A lot of that is based on responses to your behavior. And yet in the moment, this is where somebody who had like, has more of an awareness of specifics might counter in saying, okay, you're saying now that a part of the narrative narrative that was false, that she says in her words was a part of the salacious narrative in, in Rachel's words, was that the narrative being was written for her um, to support Ariana because it's more salacious to say that we weren't best friends. In reality, we were acquaintances who became friends through the show. She's always been very sweet and protective and encouraging. Um, it was like great, but we never had a deep conversation like what I would have with a best friend. And I'm thinking, like, who did you have deep conversations with, babe? Like, who did you have? those kinds of conversations with? Were you open to that? Were you listening to her conversations? Was she sharing with you? Is she responsible if you didn't share back? Like, I can't answer that. It's painful to think that in Rachel's eyes that I hurt her because it wasn't Rachel's intention. But she sort of laughs and says, but we weren't best friends. She says, Sheena was a good friend of hers. She offered me her LA apartment. She created a narrative that she was my, like my sister or parent and helped me when no one else did. And, you know, I did pay the rent, even though Sheena says I didn't. I did cat sit because my, her cat was going through like mercury treatment and Sheena was breastfeeding and couldn't be near the cat with the mercury. She says that Rachel did her Sheena's podcast and that the James breakup episode was her number one biggest hit at that point. LOL, I'm sure that's changed. 
and that it's unfortunate that she's saying that I did take advantage of Sheena because I contributed to their friendship in ways that was seemingly also professional and that these were relationships that were mutually beneficial. Bethany talks about how friendships on reality TV can seem real, but they're also based in an alliance and strategy. It feels real, but you're essentially, in my words, trauma bonding, because you're inside of this universe that's ultimately artificial. But to me, like the audience is perceiving it as real, which I'm sure complicates things. So you can have friendships that are real, but also they might be presented in a different way that you're um, seemingly best friends with Ariana. And I'm thinking at the same time, you're presenting this as being not as close as you once were, but you're giving press interviews, including the week and day that this affair came out, talking about how close you are. She went on Chicks, I think it's called Chicks in the Office. I've seen clips of their show and genuinely they're delightful. Um, But she was talking about how, I think it was an interview actually with Sheena that came out the day or day before, days before the announcement or news leaked about this affair, where she's talking about how incredible and generous and supportive Ariana is. And I'm just wondering, like, in those moments then, Rachel, in the counter to this or in adding layers and nuance to this conversation, were you lying in that moment? If you considered yourself How are you judging and gauging the level of closeness that you had with Ariana until she found out that you were sleeping with Tom? Because in the moment, were you considering yourself a close friend of hers? Because that's how you were presenting it on the show and in press. Are you thinking now through the lens of going through treatment, through an understanding of what you would look for in a friendship, in your words, knowing that honesty is number one and sharing, being truthful and vulnerable with someone in a friendship is your number one? Are you basing that now on how you feel in looking at that relationship and in knowing that some of the reasons you weren't ultimately vulnerable with this person is because you weren't telling them stuff about your life, including that you were sleeping with her boyfriend for seven months? Is Ariana responsible for you now not considering her friendship close if some of that consideration is based on you not being emotionally vulnerable, if you were kind of cagey about that because you were engaged in an affair? This is the kind of conversation that I think is interesting. It's not me dragging Rachel slash Raquel. It's me saying There is nuance here, and it's nuance that someone who watched the show, who, let's say, talked about the show or talks about psychology when it comes to Bravo, or has an interest in understanding that like history and content matters when understanding the landscape, including destroying it, including breaking it down, including it saying this is artificial because there are ways that you could participate in manufactured relationships because of what you were doing during that time, because of the the information you didn't want to get out and how that affects your relationship with Ariana that's now being judged as a result. Like maybe Ariana felt that the relationship was genuinely close, even though it's being presented on this podcast and as a result of the defense of of, of Raquel, which I again understand I'm not wholly criticizing as untrue or undeserved. 
it's just interesting to me that when we talk about, well, it wasn't a real relationship, it was part to say that someone's like a best friend is part of a salacious narrative. Like I get it, but also the idea that being close to <laughs> this person is being salacious, like she's not wrong. It did make the narrative more salacious, but like she did also seemingly identify herself prior to the news coming out as one of Ariana's good friends. So if we, again, DeLorean ourselves back to the future and back into time, to time past, were you participating in that with an awareness that like when this all comes out, if it all comes out, that you were lying about being her close friend? Like why then, why then do you in interviews identify yourself prior to news coming out as being her close friend? Because the way this is positioned in this interview is as it was created by the media, created by Ariana, created by Sheena, as a way to make, created by Bravo ultimately, obviously, as a way to make all of this bigger and um, heightened and so much worse. I've had how many episodes of AG Classic where I talked about the thing that really triggered me and really upset me was the idea of a woman betraying another woman in this way. She's not wrong that that made the narrative of this all the more salacious. But invalidating her friendship with Ariana as being one that wasn't as close as the way it was viewed from the media is not the entirety of, I think, the convo that could be had. Because Raquel seemingly considered Ariana a close friend, as we saw by numerous examples on the show and by her behavior in media and other interviews. And sure, you can have trauma bonding. You might not be going out to dinner. She cites the fact that like, you know, essentially we weren't hanging out one-on-one. We weren't going to dinner. I would consider a best friend someone who I was chatting with one-on-one, shopping with one-on-one. We were really only hanging out in group dynamics. She was nice to me during those times, but I was really only there because Tom invited me because Tom wanted to see me because we were having sex. So it's like, sure, she might be, when you look at the idea of like the friend circle that's Vanderpump rules, it seems like so much of their socializing genuinely happens as a group with smaller cores breaking out. So it's not surprising that a lot of their socializing happens in a pack, but also when it comes to who I would consider close, obviously, as she says in this episode, she considered Sheena a closer friend than Ariana. But how does the invalidation of her friendship with Ariana work with the narrative that hate against her wasn't deserved, which I get that like the level of hate wasn't deserved, but that the relationship with Ariana wasn't really valid? Like that we were nice, but it wasn't close. Like how much of that is based on Raquel now looking at the ways that she would prioritize friendships with other women versus the way that then at that point, the way that she considered herself close with Ariana. It sounds like a a might sound like a little bit of a nothing burger that I'm really digging deep into semantics. But this is a language game at the end of the day, because language in many ways is how we represent each other, how we take accountability for actions, our understanding of what's actually occurred. And there are what I'm going to call inconsistencies here, but really just really more nuance that is missing from this conversation that I wish occurred. Noting that like the drag that I felt initially before just in reading recaps before listening to the episode isn't necessarily how I feel as a result. But you could also have the conversation of like, okay, Raquel was used by so-and-so and so-and-so 
is she being positioned now as the first face aside from Bethany of like Bethany title cards, reality reckoning against Bravo? How is Raquel potentially being used for Bethany's push for unionization, which Raquel might be sorry. And again, I'm so sorry, Rachel might be okay with she might be interested in supporting Bethany's mission. This is a two part conversation plus whatever fucking drops a bonus yada yada we'll get on YouTube later on. You know, it's a two-parter. I'm talking about part one, which is the only part that we have at this point. Part two, obviously, is going to get a lot more into the nuances of Bravo's positioning and the damage done by being on Bravo and all that other stuff. Like, it's a continued conversation, but I think there is also one that people are having by Raquel not speaking to someone who is coming at this from a from the background of potentially being like a journalist or from the background of being um, more middle ground than someone actively interested in maybe having a, a genuine, honest conversation with you, sharing your perspective, which hasn't been seen, giving you the platform to speak out, protecting you potentially in certain ways, um, which is not a judgment, but just the reality Um and also using this as the primary example for her campaign. It doesn't mean these things shouldn't still happen, but I do think that there is still a conversation here about the ways that Rachel might choose to use and own her voice and who's ultimately in control of that. That, to me, is a little bit of a TV to be determined. But continuing on, so Rachel says, we were acquaintances who became friends through the show. Ariana's always been sweet and protective and encouraging. It was all great, but we never had a deep conversation like what I would have with a best friend. It's painful to think I hurt her because it wasn't her, it wasn't Rachel's intentions. We weren't best friends. Um, talking about how Sheena was. And she says, you know, I didn't, I don't expect, rather, I don't expect Ariana to forgive me. I know that there was secrecy and deception and that I caused her pain. But also, she started to hang out with her really in a group setting because of Tom's invitations. So it looked close to the public, but she was with Tom more than her. She never hung out with her one-on-one off camera. And it's like, this is where we get into the idea, again, as I said, of betrayal. It looked close to the public, but was Ariana a part of that? A a part of the betrayal here may have been in the performance of intimacy. How else do you go up to someone and say, hey, are you still fucking your boyfriend? At a filmed event, it is using the illusion and idea and role of being intimate friends to get information that you want to know so that maybe she can figure out if Tom is lying to her in saying she and, uh, sorry, in saying he and Ariana were no longer sleeping together when that was not, in fact, the case that they were. Maybe there were a variety of reasons why Raquel asked those questions um, during filming, which we all lost our minds about when we saw the episode. But the reason she was able to do that was because obviously, regardless of what Rachel really felt, even though she told us she felt a different way at the time, that she was close with Ariana. She was close enough to say, you know, what's going on with your sex life. So the idea, again, that she would go on this podcast and be like, we were acquaintances who, you know, she was nice to me, whatever else. But when we hung out, it was really only because Tom was there. It's like, okay, well, what were you doing when Tom wasn't there? The 
illusion of reality TV being a performance being manufactured is all well and good not taking away from that. But you made choices to get information based on Ariana's assumption of the closeness of your relationship, a closeness you consistently confirmed in press interviews and on the show until the point that the affair came out. And then the circumstances around this changed. And it's like, I don't disbelieve I don't believe that Rachel is actively lying necessarily when she's saying these things but I do believe this is where a counter would be important someone who had the information watching the reunion is not enough and I would argue that a person could potentially come in over the course of being new to Vanderpump Rules but watch the entirety of this season and maybe potentially have some of these questions because they at least understood them in the context of the episode itself, not at a fucking summary festival, which is what the reunions often are. Um, And so it gets into the conversation of, you know, do I think Tom and Ariana's relationship is real? She says she doesn't know. She wouldn't have been involved with them if she thought they had had longevity. She says the people closest to them, which is like a little shady boots, could see their relationship wasn't how it looked on camera and says that they were a brand only and an image business partners. They still live together, even though she gave him the key to her apartment while she was away at treatment, but he chose to stay at his house with her. His money is wrapped up in his new bar, so it's not actually like he has a bajillion dollars, which is what people assume. And she believes it's not surprising that they still live together now because they were never authentic. So it doesn't really matter. There's no difference. And I get that. And yet, how does that explain if he had told you that the relationship was over, if he had told you the relationship wasn't real, and you also believed that it wasn't real, why were you actively betraying her? Why did you act in a way that was cagey around a relationship? Why did you continuously try to hide it if this thing wasn't real? If other people around you also believed it wasn't real, that's something that people are going to have responses to. Sheena's going to respond to it. I'm sure Lala, who's actually sort of been critical of Tom and Aria's relationship previously a little bit, might have responses to it either. But like, that's dropping the carrot of the idea that people's upset might also be performative. And that also can be a longer and more nuanced conversation. But when it gets to the heart of, I wouldn't be involved if I thought they had had longevity, then why did you do such a great job of actively trying to disguise this? Why were you asking her about her sex life when she told you that she was actively and was sexually interested in Tom? Wasn't that a window to you that maybe this was realer than it actually is? And when you see her upset when she finds out about the affair, isn't that also a window that her being upset about an affair would indicate she was in a relationship with someone that she thought was exclusive? Like, some of this isn't connecting in a way that is understandable. People are often a a mess of contradictions. And also, It's just to say that a counter would be helpful in these moments because there are examples that can be pulled from the show, life, an understanding of human behavior, 
and just the awareness of like other stuff going on. If you are not aware, if you're not up to date on these shows or engaged in conversation about them, I just think it would have been helpful at this point to have a little bit more of these counters. It's just the blanket statement that feels so similar to what Tom was saying to Howie Mandel that makes me feel a little but it's her choice. And, you know, we gets into the conversation of brand deals. How does it feel to see Ariana explode? And um, part of it is a sense of good for you, but also hurtful to think and um, the think about the flip side and that Rachel's nature is to be um, kind and forgiving and understanding. So being painted as a villain blows her mind. And they both feel that Ariana's behavior at the reunion went too far and was uncalled for, which to me is a little bit of an LOL when you think about the timing of all of this. And also, if she's so fucking upset about her relationship and being betrayed in this way, isn't that again an indicator really that the relationship to Ariana was real? It's like we're still continuing to use the lens of what Tom told Raquel and maybe what um, people who are critical of their relationship or not showing the nitty gritty of their relationship telling, I'm sorry, I'm still saying Raquel, Tom told Rachel Raquel and what other people might be saying and being critical about how they were not sharing the realities maybe of some of their dynamics at the end of the day. No relationship is perfect. Maybe there was less pressure on them to share their relationship and maybe production was okay with that than on other people. Like that's a conversation that can be had, but it does bring to mind the fact that a lot of her language in using this and a lot of her reality is based on the reality that Tom presented to her. Because at a certain point, if you see, how do we live in a universe where we are saying this was all performative, none of this was real, but the flip side is, wow, this person is really upset. How dare she be so upset about this thing that she's really upset about because it's her good friend betraying her and also her long-term partner of almost a decade, but also we're trying to minimize the harm of this by saying they weren't really dating. But if the person who was the one who didn't know of the three people who didn't know about the affair finds out and is really fucking pissed and is dragging you because the reunion was taped, what, a week or two weeks, a small period of time after the affair got out, within weeks and you're saying she's really upset it's too much i can understand that especially if it's you know coming out airing months later or whatever time we actually ended up watching it but also like this doesn't connect to me we're saying we're minimizing the relationship and saying it was no longer valid it was no longer real that was my understanding then and apparently now but also she went too far in being upset why did why was she upset at that point why did she go too far You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just some of this stuff, a counter would have been helpful, a counter that was based on someone knowing the information. Um, It also gets into the conversation of don't hate the player, hate the game. Ultimately, this is on Bravo. Rachel felt that she got caught up in something that was too big to handle. Um, Bethany says she became invested in this as a concept because of the reunion. I just thought that language is really interesting. And then it gets into a conversation of of sort of like revenge porn of um, potentially that this video came to light. The reason that that Ariana found out about this relationship was because the night before she was on Watch What Happens in New York, she was watching 
porn in her hotel. I don't know if that's the t- correct term. Sorry, uh, adult entertainment potentially. I'm, I'm genuinely not making a joke. I don't. I'm intimate videos in her hotel. And at that time, feeling a little zesty, she FaceTimes with Tom, and unbeknownst to her, while they are, I think, I believe you know, self-pleasuring on the FaceTime. He records it without her knowledge. And then she feels the next day she's on top of the world. She's doing Watch What Happens. She's saying to her glam, I feel like I've leveled up. I can handle anything. And she says, like, literally five minutes later, she gets a copy of Screen Records, which includes the screen recording of this um, FaceTime with Tom that she didn't know he was recording and a text that says, you're dead to me from Ariana. Ariana then calls her, yells at her, and begs to know when it started, which again, does that sound like a brand? Because the ways that Rachel is still dependent on that language and on that reality of this is just a brand, anything else, do you really believe that this person yelling and screaming and losing her shit is doing this because she's losing a brand? Is that really what we feel at this point? We've done enough work on humanity to still not really understand Ariana's a little bit of a sense of like... Maybe her rage was real bad, but there was a reason for it, and it wasn't because of a brand deal, also known as the Tom and Ariana love campaign. Like, let's connect some of those dots here about why this person's really pissed. Um, But, you know, she sends the screen record. Rachel is very concerned that the video is going to get leaked, and so she felt pressured maybe to give Ariana information in that sense. I think she was seemingly afraid of what Ariana would do with that video. Um, And she says the affair went on so long because Tom didn't want Ariana to know how long. Some of that stuff didn't entirely make sense to me. But she did tell Ariana it had been going on for seven months. Um, It all came out at this performance of his, in Rachel's words, hit new single, which I was like, what? Um, When Tom was performing at TomTom in front of everyone, including LVP, phone fell out, a friend picked it up, gave it to Ariana. Tom had said he and Ariana had been broken up by then, which again, Rachel, connect those dots, including now. And um, Ariana said, gulp according to, you know, Rachel citing Ariana having talked about this in press interviews, it's not really like Ariana gave her a, you know, a TikTok run of show of how she felt uh, in her mind at this point. Um, Unsurprisingly, that imaginary best friendship is really, they're no longer as close as the way that either of them felt. Um, So Ariana looked through the phone, she's got a sense that something was off and she wanted to check and she said he hadn't even really saved it to a different folder. It was just as he, I guess, had previously, it was just in his camera roll and that she was concerned and believes a lot of people have seen that video despite her sending an immediate cyst and deceased. She says, cease and desist. I just did it as Tamara Judge would. Cease and desist. Some of her friends um, have described it, meaning Ariana's friends have described the video in detail. Rachel says she wouldn't be surprised if Ariana sent it to other people, which she also notes isn't legal. I don't know what to say about that, except it's concerning to me how much of this is focused on Ariana's behavior as a result noting that sending and distributing um, that video, which was recorded without consent, would be illegal, but focusing all of this on Ariana and not Tom, who took the video in the first place. Where's the anger? I felt no anger 
toward Tom. Maybe that's because she's been in treatment, she's been working through stuff. But I did think it was interesting, the angle of the conversation, or at least what we saw was very focused on Ariana and not Tom, which gets into the conversation of gender dynamics. And in the ways that Rachel feels that she was too much heat was on her, which I don't disagree with. There's also the idea that a lot of heat's going on Ariana in this. And it's like, what about fucking Tom? And I don't mean that literally. We're at a figurative phase of our lives now. What about fucking as a non-verb Tom? Um, So that's a little bit of a moment that I'm sure Ariana is going to have a response to, especially with Rachel intimating that Ariana shared it with people without her consent, which is an illegal act. Um, sure, we're going to get an update on that. She says also she had a couple relationships before reality TV, including with a college boyfriend who was noncommittal, that she met James at 21 when she was in a DJ phase, which I thought was interesting. She didn't acknowledge that she was also in a DJ who's on reality TV phase. There's this idea of reality TV is this forbidden fruit, this thing that everybody wants, but that can spoil and and um, turn a person after uh, beginning, let's say, their path down reality TV. It doesn't really talk about how exciting it could be to date someone on reality TV, to date, to be, get, potentially be attracted to someone or begin to date them because they are on reality TV. Um, I'm, I was surprised that that wasn't acknowledged. The, the fact of the matter was he was just a DJ and she was in a DJ phase. Again, this would have been a little bit of a nuance. That idea that reality TV can change a person, but can also excite them. How much of that, um, was a part of this and how much of that was a part of her dynamics with Tom, who is an older man who had lived life longer than her and, um, dated, been in more, uh, longer um, relationships than he had than she had and was seen um, to be someone who was in a power position and had been on a reality TV for a decade or for however long um, certainly has been on reality TV for longer than a decade at this point but for however many years before she actually before Rachel actually met him we don't get into that at all and the idea of how potentially intoxicating it might be to be with someone who, um, especially if you are maybe in a position where you haven't been um, in a lot of relationships and you are still feeling like feeling the effects and still kind of essentially recovering from her breakup with James, a relationship that people haven't really talked a lot about, but I think is one that was incredibly toxic um, at many points, uh, men, several of which we actually did discuss on the most recent season of Vanderpump Rules. Um, but the fact that like it can be kind of sexy, the idea of potentially having this secret with this person who's a reality TV star, as Sandoval is, who's really successful, who can guide her in the way. And it's like, you know this thing that no one else knows. Like the idea of the switch of power dynamics in that you're just coming out of this relationship, you're feeling yourself, you feel independent. And then this person expresses an interest in you of all people, this person who would potentially have access to any number of people, and they're interested in you, and they can show you the ways of reality TV and maybe of romance and whatever else. It's like the power dynamics of that we're not really getting into as much as the power dynamics of the ways that the world support supported Ariana and her ability to monetize. And again, many things can be true at once. It's just interesting to see the way that 
Rachel is obviously wanting to open up, share that she has learned lessons, although the empathy here is really secondary to other stuff. It does still feel like she's based in a universe that Tom created for her. And when shown that that universe, and even if it included rumors or other people bitching and moaning about Tom and Ariana not being as great as the way they looked, the reality is like, how does Ariana feel about this? Maybe it's hard to understand that if this person is also dragging you and calling you like a monster and a beast or whatever else. I mean, BCC, um, Amsterdam, Beverly Hills, like you beast. Um, I, it's just, there's a lot here and a lot that wasn't discussed. And the episode kind of ends in a weird spot. She says she believed that she was in love with Tom. Now she sees she was not. She doesn't think that he really loved her. They had a connection she didn't really have with anyone else, including IRL. She felt seen and validated and heard. And then the outro music starts. And then it's just like done. Like it stopped. And then it went to a I thought it was like an ad for something else. And then another episode played. And I was like, wait a second. Did I miss the outro here? Like, where the fuck? was the, and our conversation continues or anything else. But that was the creative decision made by the powers that be. And that's where the conversation ends with the understanding that I assume part two, which I will also cover at whatever point that comes out. And I'm sure I'll watch the video as well, because I think the tells here in language and positioning and awkwardness are going to be, uh, would be interesting to watch, honestly. Um, so I'll cover part two when it comes out. But that was really part one. I mean, I think I covered the ways that I wish there had been more nuance, counter information or research. But also the fact that when this came out, and I immediately saw a couple summaries from content creator pals, I had some opinions and some feelings about like Bethany and whether or not Raquel was kind of being used potentially for her campaign, if this was a good idea. And I did think it was a better conversation than I thought it was going to be. But I did also think that there were some serious holes and some holes that came either because uh, maybe Raquel's family is still supporting her, but also apparently Stan's Bethany aren't making the best choices, which would not be surprising. Um, but also if there's just a positioning of Rachel Raquel at this point that I just sort of disagree with. And that might be the difference in like their business strategy or PR strategy, or maybe an awareness here that this situation is more nuanced in a way that might not reflect well on Rachel short term, but I think would long term if you are open to having these conversations and questions. But like, it's entirely possible Rachel hasn't thought about them because they've never been asked to her. And that would make sense, too. And that's where I'm like, ugh, I wish that there had been someone in the position that Bethany was in who was chosen because she's Bethany Frankel, but also because she has an understanding of being on Bravo and Bravo TV, that while they're getting somewhere, which is to part two, which is the why Bravo can go fuck themselves, that there had just been a little bit more information or history around some of the counters that I wish had happened on part one. But also, listen, it's her first conversation. It might not be her last, um, meaning Rachel, Rachel account. So we'll see what happens with part two. This just happened. This just came out. I mean, what a way to start my day. <laughs> what, a way, what a way to start yours if you've listened. Um, I would recommend listening. Why not? Why the fuck not? I don't think it was um, 
one of those things of like, oh my God, it was so bad, blah, blah, blah. I thought it was interesting. And some of that interest to me is in the direction of how Bethany led the conversation. And I think it's incredibly complicated. Um, Listen, let me know your thoughts. Slide into my DMs on Instagram. Send me a satchel of gold. Your thought, feel, question, and concerns named in honor of Bethany's best friend, uh, Kelly Clorin Ben Simone from Scary Island. And include your first name and town. I want to hear from you about how you felt about this interview, maybe about the coverage, maybe about this episode, Um, include it. Include all your thoughts and feels because I will be hopefully deep diving those on an upcoming Patreon episode because I got a satchel, satchel, satchel spectacular from uh, someone who AGs in the Patreon universe know from previous satchels, who's a licensed therapist, um, who had some thoughts and feels prior to this episode going out about the ways that Bravo has handled delicate circumstances, which I'm excited to deep dive in an upcoming Patreon up. And speaking of two new Patreon episodes that went up in the last week, and that includes the most recent one with Ryan Houlihan talking about his conversation with Aaron. Since that episode went up, Aaron went on Not Skinny But Not Fat and talked a little bit about uh, responding a little bit about to critique and questions that have come her way about her support of Trump in 2016. But she decides not to discuss the Stop the Steal donations from 2020. So if that's something that's of interest in you, listen to the Patreon episode because Ryan and Aaron had a chat and she did give more information that um, hasn't yet been shared. So that's at patreon.com slash Scrolls. Number one way to support the podcast. There's also um, another bonus episode that includes thoughts and feels about the Salt Lake City um, trailer, my live reaction to that, and also some changes in how I view um, spiritual and trigger housewives and the ways in which Orange County and Salt Lake City intersect. So $2 a month on Patreon gets you my love and support. $5 a month gets you two bonus episodes. $10 a month gets you four bonus episodes. And there's also a premium level called the People's People's Patreon Couch, where you get to record a bonus Patreon episode with yours truly, Sarah G over here, one of many Sarahs in the universe. And yes, that H is live. Um, So thanks so much for your support to all the Patreon AGs, to all of you for listening. Follow me on Instagram and allegedly threads at Dame Galley. And again, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts and to continue this conversation. I think it's nuanced and complicated. Those are the waters that I love to wade into. And um, it's why I'm so appreciative to have this little platform that we call AG and AG Kate. HQ. Don't you love an emergency episode? I really do feel like I have run out of words. And so that is the way that I'm ending this 19 hour, 100 plus yada yada episode. Did I mention it all? I think I mentioned it enough. <laughs> this is the grade for this. Um, but I'm really curious for your thoughts. If you've listened and why you haven't, please let me know. And guys, my goodness, new AG out this weekend. My God, oof, the fun continues. We will chat with you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>